pastor asked me specifically to teach on the marriage relationship, and so I think that what we just witnessed can give some validity to that, some credibility to that, so I appreciate his example and his wife's example of being a committed couple to each other. I'm also going to say I'm going to give some things and thoughts tonight, but I don't want you to think this is something that's always my strength. Now, 99% of the time probably, but no, it's not always safe. They say preach from weakness. If that's true, this is going to be one of those messages. So as we're teaching on the marriage relationship, what does that look like? What are some challenges that we have? So in marriage, adjustments are required. As you have been married for about six hours, you know this is true. Adjustments are required. And just when you think you have it figured out, you know what? There's another adjustment. And just when you think you have that one figured out, well, there's another adjustment. And, you know, women love surprises, so they don't even tell you what adjustments are needed. It's like, hey, figure it out, buddy. About the time you do, I'll give you another challenge. And they probably feel the same way about us. But, you know, just when you think you have it figured out, then all of a sudden there's this problem or this problem, or maybe there's a child on the way, or there's a second child, or a third child, or maybe empty nesters, or a job change, or a geographic change. There's all these different changes, and adjustments are required. And I know that as changes that just occur in life happen, they can affect our partner. And then your partner can change as life changes. So as you're adjusting, not just to your partner, but to life, there's all these changes happening, and your partner is changing. You think you haven't figured it out, but it doesn't always work that way. My wife doesn't have to have expensive gifts. I'm sure that she doesn't mind them, um, but she likes when I find thoughtful gifts. Now, some of you who are very, very creative and thoughtful know exactly what to get your spouse or partner. I hate you. It is a challenge for me to do that. And we have to struggle to adjust and change with our partner as they change. And sometimes as changes of life happen, you become frustrated or irritated, or you feel your needs aren't being served. And then you start to get frustrated with your partner. And you start to worry about your husband, your wife, say, what is wrong with you? Don't you see what I need? I'm going to challenge us today to shift that perspective, and I think of the scriptural one, and I'll try to back that up. Why we, me, you, have to be the one to lead the charge in making those adjustments. We have to put our focus on why we chose our partner instead of why they're challenging. Because right now, if I said, hey, what is something your, your partner does that challenges you? We'd probably be flooded with requests. But shouldn't we wonder why we chose our partner? How do we do this? You go back to make your partner special and unique to you. And I don't want to hear, oh yeah, they're unique, by the way. I don't want to hear that. You want to make them special. Remember what you liked about them, that little quirk, that little mannerism, that little figure of speech, that nickname they had, that now just rubs you the wrong, but you liked it. Some of you, I don't know if I can remember back that far. You'll get there. Make your partner special unique. See their good qualities and what you love about them. Now, one way that I can try to do this, and I'll suggest it to you, is the third one. Now, before you dismiss it, 
or you just think, eh, I don't really want to do that, especially the guys. Try it. Study their picture. See them as an individual that you love and that you chose. I'm serious. Take a minute, two minutes, and just study their picture. See their jawline. See the memories. See their eye color. See the flash of their eyes as the first time you asked them out or the first time you told me you loved them or the first time you shared this experience. See all the characteristics in that picture as an individual. Why you chose them. Why you said, I want to spend my life with you. Don't see why they're challenging. See why you chose them. When you see them for who they are and why you chose them, it prevents boredom and it prevents you from seeking someone else to fill the void. I pray that that never happens to me. I don't want that to happen. One of my lifelong goals is to grow old with my wife and be faithful and love her. That's one of my aspirations. And I hope she can support me as we're on that journey. But it's not going to happen if you don't remember why you chose them. Because we are all inherently selfish, and our needs will turn internal, and we'll wonder why our needs aren't being met. Just to show that your partner is unique, a song of Solomon, we'll read one verse there. And I'll go to our main pastor in a minute. It says, my my dove, my beloved, is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is a choice one of her that bear her. The daughter saw her and blessed her. Yea, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. You're married to someone who is special. And they're special to God. But you know what? They're supposed to be special to you. Amen. And if you don't feel your partner is special... I'm going to challenge you to turn inward and push that reset button and change your perspective. Because if you're focused on the negative, if you're focused on what is challenging, if you're focused on the changes of life and you're missing why you chose your partner and why they're special to you, you may miss out on the blessing that we witnessed here tonight, and that you witnessed among the older people tonight, and that you witnessed when you go and see an older couple in public who has grown old together and has memories together and a shared life together, and they're affectionate, and they're in love. The Lord sees us as special. And we are supposed to be Christ-like in that way. Do you know how to make your partner feel special and loved for who they are? Are you doing it? If you ask me right now, do you know what I could do to make my partner feel special and loved? I could probably think, oh yeah, this or this. But am I doing it? And if you're not, why not? And please don't say because they aren't. No. Are you doing it? Take the first step. Challenge yourself to say, I want to show them. Maybe you say, I could love them, 
and I could make them feel special if they would just change this or not do. You have that? Something come to your mind? Probably my wife has a list of those things. But we're quick to think of those, aren't we? And we pounce on them when they do them, don't we? And we're quick to criticize, aren't we? And we love to point the finger because we want to show that we're right. James 3.2 says this, For many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. We are going to offend with our mouths, and so will your partner, and so will anyone else that you offend. And how you handle that is going to be up to you. And if you say, well, they said this, well, you've probably said the same, similar type of thing, and they've probably had to overcome that with you, and you have to work to overcome that with them. And as we start to use the Bible, I want to understand this. Part of holiness is putting up with others' inadequacies and their failures. Amen. I'm sure no one in this room does this, but I've had many people and some of them know the Bible very well, but they'll justify their behavior or their critical spirit or the teardown of their par partner or their spouse. And I've even heard them verbally berate their partner with Scripture. Now, you can disagree with me, but I'm not sure that I can say that's holiness. Matthew 5.14 points that out to us, but if we look at this, part of holiness is putting up with other people and getting along with them. We're not going to deviate that, but you know, getting along with God. Do I get along with God? Well, everyone does. He forgives us. He loves us. No matter what, he gives everything for us. He's not hard to get along with. It's people that are a challenge. It's you and I that are a challenge. We have to understand what our holiness is supposed to look like. We are supposed to practice holiness by being patient and loving others. Don't validate your holiness with a superior stance or condescension. If you elevate yourself and you look down on your spouse, you look down on your partner, you look down on your friends, co-workers, and you start having a superior stance of why you're better than they are, why you're right and they're wrong, that is not the holiness that I see represented in the Bible. That's certainly not the holiness of our Savior when he lived on earth. We are not supposed to model that type of behavior. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. We could read those verses. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, there is a mouthful here for us to use in our relationships that we're focused on tonight. We have to have this attitude as we approach our partner. The pressure becomes on me, not my spouse. The pressure becomes on me, not my wife. I have to have this attitude. So what does that mean that we have to do? What if we apply these verses right here to our relationships? Number one, we have to have humility. This is never look down on your partner. Don't look down. Don't give that condescending click of your tongue. Close your eyes. Slow head shake. Close, pinch the bridge of your nose. Don't look at that. Don't give the exasperated side as you look up and to the left. Don't do any of those things.
Because that's arrogance. Humility, you're supposed to never look down on your partner. Gentleness, don't respond harshly to your partner, but understand them. Isn't it easy to respond harshly when you're irritated, when you're frustrated, when they don't do things exactly like you want, when you're impatient? But if we're going to follow Ephesians 4 challenge, we can't do that. Patience. Don't expect your spouse to be perfect because we can't all be married to me. (laughs) Thank you for laughing, by the way. We want our spouse to be perfect, but they're not. We have to demonstrate patience, forbearance. You deal with a difficult partner without anger or frustration. And I understand this challenging. I told you from the beginning, this is something that I have to struggle with. Because my spirit and my attitude can be driving. It can want to push my way. It can want my needs to be met. It can minimize or deprioritize the feelings of those around me and their needs. But that's not Christ-like. So I can say that's my personality, but that does not justify my dismissiveness of the feelings of those around me. Nor does it justify me being rude or unkind to my spouse. I would hope that we could not have the professional exterior of kindness to the people we cross and then go home and argue and debate and have a terrible relationship with our partner. Are you authentic in your marriage? Are you real? If we ask your wife or your children if you're authentic, could they validate your holiness by the way you treat them? Put the next verse, please. First Thessalonians. This is going to be a little bit for the ladies at the end. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Okay, ladies, this is for you. Comfort the feeble-minded, because I know you've been wanting to think about that the entire service. Support the weak. You're like, okay, it's two of the three for my husband. Be patient towards all what? Men. Okay, there you go. So ladies, you feel better now? There it is, just for you. Now all I have to do is change that we exhort you. It has to be sisters there instead of brother. But we have that. Are we doing that? This shows when they're difficult. Comfort them. Support them. Be patient towards them. I understand the challenge, and I'm thankful that I didn't write this. Because I would have made it a lot easier. But if we want a marriage that lasts, if we want a marriage that mirrors the love of Christ, these are some of the things that we have to demonstrate. Because if we aren't careful, we can think we are better, know better, and just want to fix our partner. It's always a little bit humorous to me when I ask someone who's in a little bit of struggle in the relationship. And you know what? They always have the fix. They always know exactly what to do to fix it. Their partner, she's to change like six or seven things. Everything will be okay. Okay, what do you think the problem is? Oh, okay, well, I don't want to, 
I'll just tell you. She really needs to change this. And, you know, I do my best, but, man, she just changed this. And she was a little more like this. And we just want to fix our partner. But unfortunately, that's not a view of Christianity, is it? What did God do for us? My partner's a person to be loved, not a problem to be fixed. Do you think you're a problem to be fixed to God? Or are you a person to be loved? Does it ever say why we were yet sinners? He died for us. But God commendeth his love toward us before that. He loved us. He's patient with us. He's gracious with us. He extends grace and mercy to us. His love and mercy is what drives me to want to be closer to him. Not his condescending attitude. Not his arrogance. And if anyone could make a checklist for me to say, hey, you need to change these things, no questions asked, it's God. But he doesn't do that to me. And yet some of us do that to our spouse. We tell them what they have to do. We have to accept your partner's humanity to love them fully. We're not going to have a perfect spouse. It's not going to happen. You can aspire to be a better spouse, but perfection is not going to happen. Do you expect and hold them to perfection, yet want grace when you fall short? Is there a double standard? You judge them by your actions, but you want to be judged by your intentions? I didn't intend to offend you, but you did. I didn't intend to make you feel unloved, but you did. But if they do that to you, God forbid. How do you treat your husband? How do you treat your wife? Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. Puts off his anger. You know, they say if you take six to eight deep breaths and take up to a minute and a half to two minutes when you're really angry, it really can de-escalate your anger. And you know the number one driver of poor health over the age of 50, just natural cause, is anger and anger issues. So for your own sake, take some deep breaths. Defer your anger. And it's a glory to pass over a transgression. How many of you like to see the perfect dig for your spouse? And you see the exact thing. You could burn them on this. They just promised never to do that again. They just said yesterday this wouldn't happen. And it's happening. It's like when you were in T-ball. Ball's on the tee, Johnny. And you're getting all excited. You're like, I'm going to hit that ball off the tee. I'm going to drive my point home. I'm going to justify why I'm right. And then you put the bat away, and you don't do anything, and you extend grace. When you do that, 
It's to your glory. I understand tonight may not be inspiring, but I'll tell you this. It's straight from the Scripture, and I think it's very practical, and I think it's very meaningful, and I think it can be transformative for all of us that are going to apply it. You know, I read an illustration about a husband who, when he was home, would always listen to podcasts and audiobooks and everything on speaker and carried the phone with him throughout the house, and he had the volume all the way up, all the time. Now, if I did that, I probably would not still be alive, all right, just so that, but he did this. And someone was in the home one day and was getting annoyed and told his wife, doesn't that drive you crazy? And she said, you know, I just choose to be happy that he's home and not out somewhere. Now, I have to ask, if, you had, if I did that, my wife's like, I would be happy that he's not home. No, but anyway. What do you do when that partner irritates you with their habits, their mannerisms, when they make a mistake? What is your perspective when something annoys you? When conflicts arises, start conversations with questions that seek understanding. Not with accusations that seek submission. You want to beat them into submission. You want to show that you're the boss. You want to start arguments. You want to start a conflict. You're having, if you're conflict diverse, you're having these arguments in your head. You're just giving them back and forth. And your eyes and your body language are speaking really loudly. I didn't say anything. Oh, yes, you did. Your body language... All of that spoke loudly. Are you willing to start with questions to seek understanding because you want to be better? Or are you coming at them with accusations because you want to be right? Now, honestly, this is a challenge for me because I want to fix everything. I want to solve everything. My mind works through issues and I want to solve it. Remember a few slides ago, my wife is not a problem to be fixed. She is a person to be loved. If I want to seek to understand her, it de-escalates the conflict, puts us back on an even plane. And it is amazing when I do that, how the problem just seems to go away and we actually find what we all want in conflict, resolution. You say we want conflict resolution. This is a much better formula than elevating your tone and getting your way. Seeking to understand what actually caused the problem. Your partner will annoy you or have irritating habits. And will is in all caps, by the way. How will you respond to this? It's probably going to happen in the car. If it doesn't happen in the car, it's going to happen when you get home. If it doesn't happen, then it's going to be in a text or a phone call or a missed phone call or text you don't respond to or something you forget to bring home or you're going to whistle at the wrong time or you're going to do something else that is annoying. How will you respond when that happens? What's your choice going to be? Do you demonstrate patience with your partner when they frustrate you or they stumble? And if you need to take a walk, take a walk. If you need to go for a few-minute drive, not in anger, just say, you know what, I'm going to go out, I'm going to get something, go get that. Demonstrate patience. When they frustrate you or annoy you, that's going to happen. I'm going to frustrate and annoy my wife. I don't intend to do that, but I will. 
so will you. We all are going to this. How will you respond when that happens? Can you go back and look some of the scripture we looked at tonight? Can you go back to Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 and look at those verses? Can you look at Psalm 1911? Can you go back to James and look at James and say, you know what, they offended word, but I'm going to bridle my tongue. I'm going to control my reaction when that happens because I can control me. I can't control my spouse. What is our choice going to be? Do you give the pardon of the benefit of the doubt when mistakes happen? They're going to make mistakes, so when they do, when they fail, when they mess up, when they forget, when they don't come through, when they promise they're going to do something and they don't, when they say they're going to make sure it doesn't happen again and it does, what are you going to do then? What's going to fill the gap? Do you give your part in the benefit of the doubt when mistakes happen? Now, my guess is there's been a time in your marriage where you have done this, right? And it's been very gratifying to you. And you know it's the right thing to do. You know. You can look at your partner. You can tell. You can feel the love. You can almost be really proud of yourself. Just when you feel that, don't be like me and say, honey, I'm really doing good right now, aren't I? That's probably not the right time to do it. I speak from personal experience. Somehow that killed the moment. I don't really understand. But there's probably been a time when that's happened. How do you want to love your partner? Adjustments are going to be required. They are going to change. Their needs are going to change. Their desires, their wants are going to change. What worked 10 years ago may not work now. What worked six months ago may not work exactly the same way now. The recipe may change. That's part of the beauty of adapting and changing and growing with each other. But we can get through all of that if we simply would apply these principles of saying, I want to demonstrate what Paul wrote to us what the Bible consistently tells us, I can look at how God loves me. If we would just apply some of those things and put our ego second and rein those desires in, it's amazing. My marriage elevates. It becomes a joy to see my wife respond in such a way that is so motivating and inspiring. I think, man, marriage is incredible. And yet when I put myself first and my needs aren't met and I throw a fit about that, it's amazing how the conflict arises and tension increases and the marriage heads down a path that I don't like and we're both frustrated and irritated with each other. Think of your last few conflicts, how many of them could have been let go or handled in a better way? Don't bring them up, by the way. Some of you are taking notes and saying, no, that's true. You could have handled it this way. Please don't do that. This is for your benefit going forward. And guys, let me just say, there's going to be some times where you have the purest motives and you think you're handling it right and she's going to take, hear it the wrong way. We'll talk about this at the retreat. We're going to do like 16 sessions on it. No, I'm just kidding. You're going to try hard and she's going to hear it differently and you're going to scratch your head thinking, dear Lord, do I frustrate you like this? And the answer is yes, you probably do. And last... Holiness is enduring the sins and the failings of others. So what's your holiness grade? 
You want to have a good marriage? Increase your holiness grade. Be patient and endure what you perceive as the shortcomings of others. Look at your spouse and remember why you chose them, not why they're challenging. I would challenge all of you, and frankly, this principle would work if you have a child that's frustrating you. Look at their picture. Study them. This probably goes back to many of you who did this. Do you ever have a child that terrorized you the entire day and you think, dear Lord, I never believed in demon possession, but I, I might be convinced after today. And then you walk into that child's bedroom and they're sleeping, and they look so peaceful. You think, I love them. They can't do that. Then the next day, the demon arrives. Now, hopefully, you don't look at your spouse sleeping and think that, all right? But if you want to increase your marriage and the score and the happiness, think of the utopia you thought marriage was going to be. You'd walk in the home and feel a warmth. You can't wait to see your partner couldn't wait to just share experiences of the day. That can still happen. If it hasn't happened in a while, it can still happen. It can happen again. And the holiness grade is enduring the sins and failings of others and bouncing back and saying, what can I do to make them feel loved? And if I know how to make them feel loved, start doing it. Hey, guys, don't hide behind, I just don't feel like it. I don't care if you feel like it or not. Just do it. Make them feel loved. Be kind with your mouth. They don't deserve it. Neither do you. Just do it. Even if it's slightly insincere, just do it. Guys, if, have you ever remembered it's Valentine's Day and you're at Walgreens or at a gas station? You're like, oh, man, Valentine's Day. And you just grab whatever card. There's one turned backwards and the card's all dirty. But you just grab the card, sign your name. Hey, love you, honey. And you give it to her and she reads like every word on that card. And she has like a tear coming down her face. I'm like, man, I, I did really good on that. You didn't even read the card before he gave it to her. <laughs> the pressure really comes when your wife gives you one of those cards and she watches you read it. <laughs> Try to poke yourself in the eye. Fake cry. I love it, honey. You don't really mean it. Did you really like that third paragraph? Remember what he said? Yes, I do, but I'm so choked up, I, I can't quite say the words right now. <laughs> we're different. Guys and girls, we're different. But let's put Christ and his example of what he does for us back in that relationship. Let's overlook their challenges. Let's remember why we chose them. Let's embrace their difficulties and think, man, that's what makes them unique. That's what made me want to get with them in the first place. That's why I committed my life to them. Let's recommit the love of God into our homes. Let's embrace our partner and their weaknesses and their challenges. Let's go through these adjustments. Put each other first. And as we do that, you will see the transforming Love of Christ, come back into your heart. You'll see it warm. You'll see her respond to you again as you haven't in a long time. And you wonder, where has that been? It's in your grasp if you apply.
scriptural principles. And the holiness grade that Christ demonstrated for us by enduring their shortcomings and saying, you know what? I love them. I don't want to fix them. That's between them and God, but man, I can love them. We would just do that consistently.